done this before, <laughs> Kate Feld. We can't do this joke every time. Uh, all right, I'm Kate Feld. Right. Self-declared Kate Feld. God, we're in this what, What's up with pod. your chair? It's very heavy. We're in this weird Salford Uni pod again. I don't know who we were talking, which one, which podcast it was when we were in here last. I remember it. It was a, it, You know which one it was. It was the one where we dissected that cat person story. Oh, It was one yeah. of our best podcasts ever. Really? So, so maybe... there are good vibes in this pod right now is for there, us. Right? Do you think the pod will remember us? I, I feel the pod is not hostile to us. No. I'm just putting on my pod <laughs> senses now. Yeah. And However, it is like completely sealed shut. And we've turned the air conditioning off, so we'll see how long we can stand it until it becomes like a sauna in here. We're like two peas in a pod, Rob. Oh, my God. <laughs> Get that out of the way. Uh, what have you been doing today? Uh, I've been teaching. Yes. Um, that's Fulf- about it. Fulfilling students' dreams and No, mostly whatever. crushing them. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, even better. Yeah. <laughs> journalists. Are they gonna, these going to be journalists? Uh, one would hope that they will be journalists. Some of them will be journalists. Some yeah. of them may work in the media industry. Whatever the fuck that is. Some of them may do something else entirely. Mm. I don't know. But they're getting they're getting some journalism study now. Oh, that's so, good. Yeah. Are they? Yeah. Okay. Maybe we should stop talking. Maybe about we should them stop in case. talking about my yeah. job because we're we're dangering into venturing into dangerous waters. Yeah. Here, right? No one knows exactly where you work. Yep. And I'd like to keep it that way. Yeah. At, a, at an institution of higher learning mm. in the UK. Of some, well, yeah. they'll probably be able to narrow it down yeah. a bit from there. Yeah. One of one of those places. Yeah. Know. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um, do you want to... We have a few things to talk about today. First of all, um, Sophie McIntosh is going to be the guest. And I was going to say, there might be two guests, what? depending on how talkative we are. Okay, well, I can stop talking anytime you want, Rob. No, I want to keep talking, but if it, it's because we've we had to we did there was no October podcast because you were ill. Yeah, we had to. We're Sorry, at the, we're at the mercy of Jeez. your crap immune system. Sorry. Why didn't you get a flu shot? I, I'm getting a flu shot. Too late. They don't give them out that that early. Okay, I, and it wasn't the flu anyway. It was some weird virus. Yeah, it didn't sound good. It was horrible. I was ill for like a really long time. In fact, today is the first day. I genuinely feel really today. Wow. And that was like three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe more. Well, I'm glad you've made, you've uh, pulled through and are able to come back onto the podcast. Yeah. So we might have two podcast guests today, but well, we I don't might know. not. Maybe we might not. I might just okay. cancel that bit out. Okay, we'll but see. But de- Sophie's definitely going to be on. And she was... Ooh. Fucking ages ago. Long listed or short listed? Long listed for the Booker Prize. Long listed for the Booker Prize. Man Booker Prize, yeah. Um, I, yeah, I I don't even know who won. Do you know who won the Booker Prize? Uh, It was Milkman. Oh, yes. It was not Sophie McIntosh. No. Well, because she wasn't short listed. She didn't get short listed either. But Milkman won it. That was what won it. And everyone says it's great. Okay. I think we talked in the interview, but like like I said, it's so, so long ago that I can't, my memory is hazy. Okay. Um, that we, she, I think she's, we don't, I don't think we knew, I think we were on the cusp of finding out whether she was getting shortlisted or not. Mm. So it was like a day or two before, so she was excited. So maybe listening to this will be a big downer. I don't know. Well, I, I, I don't think she or anyone else expected her book to be on the long list. So the fact that 
it is, is awesome and wonderful. Yeah. And I don't think it would ever be a downer to like talk about that. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So, no, I mean to listen to yeah. this back and go, oh yes, those no. Halcyon days. No. I mean, long list, it's good, right? It's, it's freaking amazing. I read, I read the book that they sent me that she had a short story in, uh, We Were Strangers. Yeah. So it's a book on Joy Division, loads of former podcasts and edited by a former podcast. And uh, Sophie had a story on in there. Uh, Have you read any of the Booker books? I don't even know what they are. I don't. I yeah. can't like apart from Milkman, which one? And Sophie McIntosh's book, which was just long listed. I cannot call to mind a single one of them. There was one written by a Canadian woman, and that's why I knew, but I can't remember her name. Oh, you know what? I do know one that was shortlisted. She was in the she she had a she, Manchester Literature Festival. She spoke at. Yeah, there is one I really want to read, which didn't win, but the woman Daisy Johnson, who wrote mm-hmm. Fen, okay, um, ca- wrote a book called Everything Under, which was shortlisted, which looks amazing, and I really want to read it, but I haven't read it yet. Okay, um, and I was kind of rooting for her because she's a friend of a friend of mine, and mm-hmm. you know, well, so blah, was blah, everyone. Blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but it it looks fantastic. Mm. So that's my pick okay. of the <laughs> Booker shortlist, which none of which I've read, no. and the others of which I can't remember. There is never so there ever going to be an end of all things Booker long list yeah. podcast ever. No, because I never read them ever. Yeah, it's not really my thing. Yeah, either. but we get yeah, mine either. What are you reading? I'm reading. This book called Delight by J.B. Priestley. Mm-hmm. This was written, was originally published in 1949, and it has just been republished. It was out of print for a long time, so like I tried to buy a copy a few years ago, having not read it. I was at my friend Joe Bell's house. Mm-hmm. She drop. had this, yep. And I was, she was reading us bits of it, and I was like, oh my God, I love this book. It's a book basically... Of tiny little essays about ordinary things which bring the writer delight. Okay. Um, so, like, like what? Okay. Uh, well, um, n- the joy of not going to a party. That's it's, oh that my god! Totally that is number one on my list. Right? That's top of my list. Um, the the time between like when the house lights go down in a theater, and when the curtain opens and the play starts. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty pretty good, good, right? I like this. Um, Or (laughs) some of them are, like, things like fountains. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I hate fountains. Uh, I'm anti-fountain. You're anti-fountain. Yeah, I I, I think they're stupid. do you enjoy waking up to the smell of bacon and coffee? Do you know what? Bacon, I I mean, I get it. I know it smells good. I don't understand why people talk about it like the greatest smell it's ever been. Coffee, Yes. Bacon, yeah, take it or leave it. What? Yeah, oh and I'm God. a meat eater. Yeah, I don't understand that. It's okay. At all. I don't understand it. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Anyway, it's it's a book of small pleasures. Cool. Um, by apparently uh, J. B. Priestley also was an incredibly grumpy man. Oh my God. Yep. This is like he's my spirit animal. I'm gonna read you um, the preface a little bit from the preface. He all right. Says, Preface or the Grumbler's Apology, because this totally made me think of Eva. Oh, I don't know why. Okay, yeah, me neither. I have always been a grumbler. All the records going back to earliest childhood established this fact. Probably I arrived here a malcontent, convinced I had been sent to the wrong planet, and I feel even now there is something in this. 
I was designed for the part, for I have a sagging face, a weighty underlip, what I am told is a saurian eye, and a rumbling but resonant voice from which it is difficult to escape. Money could not buy a better grumbling outfit. And then he goes on to diss West Yorkshire, so I have to read this next Holy paragraph. Holy shit. In it's the West Riding of Yorkshire, where I spent my first 19 years, all local customs and prejudices favor the grumbler. To a good West Riding type, there is something shameful about praise, that soft Southern trick. But fault-finding and blame are constant and hearty. The edge of criticism up there is sharpened every morning. Yep. Like it That's just excellent. On. It's great, right? Yeah. This guy can can. It's freaky, write, man. He's right? get out of my head, J.P. Priestley. Yeah, he goes on to say like you know, this whole bit like about if, for example, a hotel gives me a bad breakfast, I have only to grumble away for a few minutes to feel that some reasonable balance has been restored. The grumble has been subtracted from the badness of the breakfast, right? This this guy is like an artist yeah. of, of bitching, basically. I love it. Yeah, so, but this is the preface. And actually, he spends the whole rest of the book talking, like, exalting about how much he loves things. Yeah. So, and I think actually most of his journalism was quite serious. You know, mm-hmm. he was talking about, like, how hard it was in the interwar period and stuff like that. And he also wrote novels and stuff. But, yeah. But so this is out with um, Great Northern Publishers. Wow. It's a really it's a pretty beautiful thing. edition because mm-hmm. it's illustrated by his granddaughter. How Aww, sweet is that, right? It has all these great little drawings mm-hmm. in it. And it's just a beautiful book. It's, it's I bought it for myself. Wow, with actual um, money. Yep. I it's because you've got like this job now. <laughs> You're actually you buying things. Yeah, I know. Right? Um, no, this it's I would say this is a really good present if you have a friend who's like, you know, just Actually, if you know anyone who's living through the times that we're living through, yeah, like um, all humans, yeah, just just buy him it. My one of my favorite West speaking of West Yorkshire, West Yorkshire things is we uh, doing the coast to coast cycle ride, and when we when you get across the Pennines, there's a pub there, and I wish I could remember what it's called now to give them some praise, but I can't. Anyway, they have this the menu, um, and on the menu is Yorkshire hot pot. Oh. Ever heard of it? <laughs> I said, oh, it's just like Lancashire hot pot, but made in God's country. I thought, uh, that, if there's not, that's the most Yorkshire thing I think I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Although, and also, I, I watched my very first football match there. Oh, really? Yeah. Sheffield Wednesday versus Leeds. Uh, this, this shows you how long ago it was. They were both in the Premiership. And Whoa. In, at Sheffield Wednesday. And Sheffield Wednesday had lost 3 0, I think. And that was the year they went down. Okay. So it was that was that was my introduction to football. It, everyone standing up, going sack them all, sack them all. I thought I was going to be killed. It was the most uh, violent, yeah. crazy environment I've ever been in. Yeah, no doubt. Um, okay, I'm not going to ask you about Sheffield Wednesday's name. I just want you to know. I know. What I it know. Is. No, I know you do, but okay. we're not going there. Oh, okay. Remember okay. the AFC Wimbledon oh. debacle. Do you know what? Okay. Loads of people like that bit. Okay. No. Moving on. Fine. What's next? Okay. Um, what are you reading, by the uh, way? Well, I just finished uh, a book about on bloody physics. What? I know. I nonfiction? Don't I know. This that's two books in a row of nonfiction. Crazy. It was it's maybe the most amazing book I've ever read. What's it called? It's called In Search of the Multiverse by John Gribben. Um I don't know when it was written because I don't care about that sort of thing. Probably the seventies. Uh huh. No, it wasn't. It was much later than that. Nineties probably. Anyway, it's about um the, the multiverse, like that we live in this, like our universe is just one of an infinite number of 
universes. And the, the fact that that's kind of the leading, most, like, physicists are kind of, it's almost a leading thought, because uh, it, it answers loads of questions. But the thing that blew my mind in it was when they're talking about quantum mechanics. Have you ever had any, any even rudimentary introduction into quantum mechanics? Not really, no. Well, you know what quantum is? It's just, like, stuff, shit that's really, really small. Yeah. So, basically, there was this way, they said that they were... They've got equipment now where they can actually see small. They can see fucking atoms, which just blew, that alone blows my mind. Right. But anyway, they they said that they've um, when an electron is being um, observed, it acts differently than if it isn't. Yeah. If it's it's a particle when it's not observed, and when it, you are observing it, it's a wave. I have heard that. What the fuck? Like, how does that even... What Like, it, that is your introduction to quantum mechanics. Like, just to tell you how fucked up it is. Yeah. And when you start at that kind of level, anything they say to you is possible. You know, the fact that, you know, a particle is different when like it, no, like when it's being observed. Like, I, how is that even a thing? But the one of the greatest things in it, the thing that blew me in my mind most, he said, if you took an electron and put it in a box and it filled that box and you sliced the box into... And he took these the boxes and split them apart hmm. and looked inside the box. The same electron is in both of them. It's not two electrons. It's not two halves of electron. It's the same electron. And that, they can't figure out what it is. And the leading theory is that when you <laughs> is that the universe splits. What? And you are looking at one electron, and the split universe you is looking at the other one. That is the only way, that's the only idea they have as far as this stuff is concerned. This is how fucked up it is. But is it's this, crazy. this is theoretical, Of course though. it is. Yeah, theoretical physics. Obviously. Yeah, they can't measure this sort of thing. No. It's not like we, we talk to uh, other universes. However, having said that, they have quantum computers. They have rudimentary quantum computers, which I, they try to, they try to describe what it, how that works in this book. And uh, that is too much for me. I can't figure it out. It's, it's almost like he said that like when, with computers that we have now, they have uh, with bits, a bit mm-hmm. can either be on or off. But with a quantum computer, because they're using quantum, it can, it's on and off at the same mm-hmm. time. So if they can figure out how to ramp this up, they'll be, you know, exponentially faster than computers that we've got now. But it somehow has to do with working with other universe. Like, I don't know. I can't. That The quantum computer, if you have any time. Um, and you have a bigger brain than I do, look that up. Hmm. I was going to have Tanya Hirschman on as your oh, replacement when you're ill. So and I was going to talk to her about this. Oh, she's a you could definitely talk to Tanya So I think I might, this. we might have her on one time and just to, to Yeah, you guys can geek up. out together. I'm yeah, just man. still reeling because I found out that trees can communicate with each other. So like, that's the level I'm at. That's pretty impressive. It is really impressive, right? Yeah. They, they, they have something called the Wood Wide Web. Which is that's what the, no that's the nickname for it, oh but it's God. a a fungal network. I know this underground. Yeah, where trees can communicate. So like if they've they've done all these amazing studies that that prove that you know if one leaf of one tree is attacked by some insect, that tree tells all the other trees in that section of the forest that these bugs are incoming. So they kind of put out. Uh, some stuff that that makes them go away Mm -hmm. um, or attracts other... In fact, one of the things I was saying, uh, reading, they 
put out a scent that attracts ladybugs to eat all the aphids. Wow. Right, like crazy, right? Yeah. Um, On the mushroom superhighway. Yeah. I mean, it's just like... See, a, my, mushroom superhighway is better than we're, we're, we're a wide wood. Wood yeah, wide web. Wood wide web. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I just... I Trees. Trees are amazing to me. Yeah. There's the hippie that I know yeah. very well. <laughs> That's right, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How, what have you uh, made of this election of yours, the, your people? Well, this election of mine, of, of my people, um, I'm, I'm happy with it. Yeah. Uh, we had some amazing results. We just sent the first two Native American women to Congress. Can you believe that is 20, 2018 and that's the first two? Yep, yep. We sent the two, first two Muslim American women to Congress, mm-hmm. one of whom... That I have less difficulty believing. Yeah, yeah. Um, and almost the most insane is that the state of Massachusetts sent a black woman to Congress. Holy <laughs> shit. Like, Massachusetts? Massachusetts seems... It's northern, isn't it? Kind of... Yeah. Boston, cool. though. Boston. Oh. Yeah, it, there's lots of whites there. It's not... And they think they're Irish. It's not known for its racial tolerance. Really? Yeah. It's kind of... Massachusetts is hmm. not... Yeah. It has some issues, let's just put it that way. Right. Historically speaking. Yeah. So, yeah, but like a hundred women going to Congress. Wow, that's good. It's great. Um, My favorite uh, American woman, congressman, woman, is uh, Maxine Waters. Is she a congresswoman or is she... See, I don't really understand how the American system works. So it's because it's, you can be a governor or a congressperson or a... You can call her congresswoman. I don't know if she is. Is that what she... Or is she a senator? Yeah, well, she's going to... If she's... I don't know. I think she's a rep, right? I so the, the House of Representatives, usually you say congressman, congresswoman. Yeah. Okay? It's confusing because there are two houses of the legislature. You've got the House of Representatives mm-hmm. and the Senate. Now, you could call both of these together. It could be Congress, mm-hmm. right? But people also refer to just the House as Congress sometimes. Okay. So... Well, like, what do governors do then? Governors are just in charge of their state. So, like, that's, oh, has okay, nothing so that's to state. do with national politics. Oh, okay. Nothing whatsoever. Right. Senators serve six years, so that's a longer term. Holy shit, yeah. Right. So, there's, and the crazy thing about senators, too, is that there's two senators from every state, regardless of the size of the state. So, my home, tiny little state of Vermont, has mm-hmm. two senators, and so does California. Right which has, like, I don't know how many more people, b- bajillions mm-hmm. more people. Um, so, but then the House of Representatives is proportional mm-hmm. representation. Mm-hmm. So, you know. Similar to yeah. here, basically. But because the senators, you know, are so much more powerful and serve so much longer, mm-hmm. it's, uh, the Republicans still have control of not huge margin, but they have enough to get, mm-hmm. you know, to, to do what they want in the Senate. But now that the Democrats have the House back, what that means is they're going to be launching a lot of investigations against Trump. It'll oh, be a, probably a little bit like, I think, um, what happened during the Clinton era when you had a situation. I think at that stage we had, I could be wrong about this, but I think we had a split in who was controlling which house. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when we had the Monica Lewinsky kind of mm-hmm. um, inquiry and all that crap. Yep. So 
But, you know, it's not like Donald Trump's done anything that no, exactly. could be subject to any kind of no. inquiry. You know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's obviously completely above board, yeah. right? I'd love them to go after, who, who was that, there was that, I don't know if he was a Republican, the guy that basically took Clinton down, he was just like, God, he was so disgusted by, you know, the things that were happening in the White House. I'd love them to talk to him now Newt about Gingrich? Trump. Newt No, well, Ken Starr? Ken Starr. Ken Starr, yeah. yeah. He was... I, they should talk, ask him now, oh, what do you think about this Donald Trump? Mm. And the thing is, there's, politics is so ridiculous at the moment that he would just say, oh, it's fine. Yeah. Even though it's completely... Hypocritical, like hypocrisy, does not even doesn't even exist. Yeah, I mean it exists obviously, but it's not a thing. Oh, no one cares. Jesus. No, I know we're post hypocrisy. It's like yeah, yeah. everyone's an asshole. Yeah, yeah. So what else is new? Yeah, you know. I, I have to say though, I was still surprised that the that the Republicans still had the Senate because I think Republican Republicans must see this fool at the top and and go. We can't have this guy representing us, but they all seem no, to be on No, board. no, 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 no. They're, like, that's They're the doubling thing. down. That's the thing that most people can't, like, really can't understand. Obviously, Trump is a complete, you know, just abomination. But the thing that's really upsetting is that the Republicans, most of whom recognize what a crazy, dangerous nutball he is, mm-hmm. The Republicans have chosen to just support him because they want to stay in power mm-hmm. and get through whatever horrible, you know, country raping legislation they can. <laughs> yeah. Um, like they'll just like, yeah, yeah, okay. Well, he's he's a complete like he's a he's a horrific person, mm-hmm. but sure, okay, let's just yeah, do this. Cause they're, uh, because they're morally bankrupt. Yeah, my yeah. lobbyists will get some more money, so. So, like, that's the thing that, so, you know, the big thing in America right now is, uh, you know, bipartisanship, you know, is going to become, like, a a watchword. Like, we'll Mm -hmm. see how much of that we get, you know. It'd be great, but. But uh, there's one, I think the one shining moment for me is Maxine Waters. Do you know, you know Maxine Waters is right? I know her, yeah. That is a, that is one of the most enjoyable rabbit holes you will ever find. Just look, just type her into YouTube and just watch what, like her, when she, um, just when she speaks basically about anybody. Anyway, she does not pull any punches and they made her in charge of the banks basically. Great. Which is wonderful. But, you know. In this world, I just can't be excited about anything politically. Yeah. Oh, that was a bit of a downer, wasn't it, to leave it on? Well, you know, um, I th- I mean, I think it's great that we sent all these awesome women to Congress. Yeah. I, I was excited about that. Yeah, It man. sure as heck could have been worse, you know, the results. Yep. So. <laughs> yeah. I, if they, I tell you what, if, if uh, the Democrats hadn't got uh, control of either of the houses back, you know, they might as well just all quit. Because, I mean, if you've got that fool in the White House and you can't take him down, for God's sake. Yeah. What the hell? What good are you? But anyways, um, should we talk about the Wu-Tang Clan instead? <laughs> Let's talk about the Wu-Tang Clan. Absolutely. Uh, I, the only reason I bring this up is because, A, there's a book about the Wu-Tang Clan coming out. There is a book that is out, actually. It's called Chamber Music. Uh by a man called Will Ashen. Mm-hmm. It's out with Granta Books. Mm-hmm. And it is a experimental nonfiction book about... Of course it is. That's why you know about it. Based on, based around the album Enter the Wu-Tang 36 Chambers. Chambers. Hence chamber music. 
Yeah. So, and it, it talks about, apparently, I haven't read it yet. I'm going to read it. But it's apparently one of those sort of digressive, just kind of jumping around from one thing to the next. It takes in racism. It takes in Kung Fu, of course, mm. you know, with the Wu-Tang. Mm-hmm. It takes in... Um, violence it takes in you know all kinds of culture like the cultural landscape that brought the clan together and don't say the clan <laughs> the clan the Wu- wu-tang the clan. clan of the wu-tang <laughs> yeah. right it's like the clan of the cave bear like mm. yeah those guys anyway uh so and apparently this guy is is a really great sort of brave writer and has written loads about hip-hop mm-hmm. um so he really knows his stuff and I'm I'm excited to read it. So personally. what? Okay, so what it's, are these? And he's in Manchester on Monday, right. At Waterstones Dean's Gate. Yeah, this will this will go out after that. I'm oh, okay, darn it. I think, or maybe just it might be come out. Might be what is today? Wednesday. So it might come out on Friday. I, I shouldn't be doing this. this I'm putting too much pressure on myself. If this comes out before Monday, you're welcome, listeners. If not, oh well. Better luck yeah, next time. Yeah, go read the book. Yeah, if get you the like, book. If you like what is? The, I don't. Know, that, that's the thing I don't understand about the book, though. It's not actually about the Wu-Tang Clan. It is Clan. about Wu-Tang Clan, but it talks, like, it takes an unconventional approach to telling their story. It's not like a behind the music, this is how the they all yeah. got together and this was what their lives were like. Mm-hmm. It, I think, I haven't read it yet, but it sounds like it tries to address not only what what brought them together and what influenced their music, but, like, what universe they exist in. <laughs> You know. Their own, frankly. There <laughs> yeah. was nothing like them before or since, really. Right. Um, and I think it kind of, I like the fact that someone has written an experimental book yeah. about them and about this album because I feel like you have to go into, you have to pull out the experimental nonfiction yeah. to like do them justice. Do you know what I mean? I remember mean? the first time I heard it, when I bought 36 Chambers, uh, I put it, brought it home and I had the CD and, the, I mean, the production value is so crap on it. I thought, have I got a bum CD here? Have I, what happened here? Have I got, like, why is it so fuzzy? And then I've, I've been watching uh, Hip Hop Evolution. Have you been watching that? No, Oh, no. my God, it's wonderful. The second series is on Netflix now. And, and the third, the fourth episode is all about the Wu-Tang Clan. So oh, great. It, it's about how they're, they're starting Staten Island. And, you know, it's a forgotten borough of New York. And uh, that, so they had that on there. Ask because no one knew anything about Staten Island before yeah, them, really. Yeah, yeah. You know, fuck that. Yeah, that you have to get a fucking ferry to get to New York. That's the only way you can get there from there. Yeah. So they're, they're really isolated, and um, the fact that there's nine of them. Yeah. You know, that's that's a recipe for disaster. Like as if you know anything, nine of anybody would could ex- could succeed in yeah, anything. Yeah, completely. Um, especially the music industry, but because they were so fucking amazing and I still that's how I I always measure the death of hip hop by when Method Man uh, did a song with Limp Biscuit. I was like that's it hip hop's over and I'm right it's been shit ever since that's old yeah. man talking speaking of grumbling that's my J.B. Priestley yeah moment. you could write a, you could write a book of yeah. essays about like the moment hip hop died yeah the, the, it would be like you know, instead of delight, it would be like disappointment. <laughs> yeah, it would. Just, it would literally would be. If it would be delight, me talking about uh, hip hop pre that Limp Biscuit Method Man moment, and then just you know rage about what it's been since. Yeah. But I, I shouldn't say that there are there are good ones now, but it's few and far between. 
they're good ones now. Like, like you even know who they are. I don't. You're old. You're right. I'm old. It's true. We don't keep up with, like, good no. hip-hop. We I... just mostly hear songs on the radio sometimes. Like, oh, yeah. that's weird. Hurting ears. Sounding, sounding strange. Turn yeah. it off. Yeah. Yeah, put six music on again. That, But, uh... Another good YouTube rabbit hole. This seems this is. I mean, YouTube is my life now, uh, because it's so good. YouTube. But, yeah, YouTube videos are the best. The, the, there's just anything on there. And have you ever have you ever watched The Breakfast Club? It's like a. Yeah, I know the. Breakfast. Do you know The Breakfast Club? Yeah, well, you're the, American, so the you're probably, film, of course. No, 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 not the film. There's a. I can't even remember their names. DJ Envy, Charlemagne the God, and then some other person, and they do have this breakfast show. It's like, and they but they. Um, and I'm still like, yeah, but that John Hughes movie is great. Oh, my God. Yeah. I really like The Breakfast Club. I hated it. Really? I never, ever got it. I don't understand it. I don't understand why it's a thing. I don't get it. My school wasn't like that. Yeah. My Kate loves it, too. What, my wife loves it. My Kate. I don't know. Um, it's hard to explain. The allure of Breakfast, Breakfast Club, Club or Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I'd have to go with The Breakfast Club. Oh, there's something wrong with you. I, yeah. I don't know how we can be friends. Yeah. This is now it's this is now devolved into two old people talking about stuff that they liked when they that were no young. no one even understands now. I will give yeah. you one Ferris Bueller. This is proper 90s shit, but this just blew my mind when I heard about it. Do you know the band Lemonheads? Are you kidding me? Do yes. I know the band okay, Lemonheads? Okay, so we're on the same I'm page. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We like I'm we, sorry. we love the Lemonheads, right? No, no, they're like one of my favorite bands. I'm I went... about to blow your mind. Okay, then. go ahead. You know, uh, A Shame About Ray, the album cover. Of course. Right, with the girl on it. Yes. That girl is the same girl in Ferris Bueller's Day Off at the end on the bus who, with that, offers the principal the gummy bear. That's what? That's the same girl. The nerdy girl at, on the bus with the really thick glasses yeah, that yeah, no one yeah. was. That's, that's, she's the same person who is not, was like a, a, a cool touchstone, I suppose, for the 90s. Like, if you ever think about yeah, a cool image... In the 90s, the Lemonheads cover is... Yeah, it's great. I mean, if it's not number one, it's a close second. So, how do you know this? Uh, because I'm a nerd. And I, yeah. I looked this shit up. Because I, I, I looked up who it was on the cover. And then they gave me a name. And then you Google the name. And then you see what else they've done. And it said she was in Ferris Bueller's Day Off. And I went, what the fuck? Wow. This is how I... I, I should be... Like, if, if, if you need any kind of internet sleuthing, I'm your man. This is a crazy like degree of 90s arcana yeah. going on here. Yeah, and it's kind of outing me as a, a proper like nerd. I love doing that kind of shit. No, I think you outed yourself as a proper nerd a long time ago, yeah, my friend. I think if, if you hadn't done it before... Yeah, but I was talking about Wu-Tang Clan, that, so I'm cool now. Yeah, but that whole thing where you talked about theoretical like quantum oh, yeah. physics for a long time... Sorry, does it need yeah. editing? No, 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 I enjoyed it, but I'm just saying like no one is in any doubt as to your nerditude now, okay? <laughs> nerditude. <laughs> <laughs> I often think that you know middle-aged white dudes who talk about how much they love hip-hop, they're pretty nerdy. It's, oh, it's always nerdy guys as well. Well, apparently the guy who wrote this book is like the nerd to the max yeah. when it comes to... And he is a white guy who yeah. wrote a book about the Wu-Tang Clan. So, you know... Yeah. Um, go nerd out with him. Yeah. Oh man, that would be good. I wanted to know more about this man. Um, okay, the other thing you wanted to talk about is, by the way, we've been talking long enough. It's only going to be one. Okay. Interview. Um, Claire Fisher is going to be on the next one. We'll try to do another okay. one this month. Okay. Uh, Norman. Okay, so you've read you this tweet about what was it called? The government's new prevent strategy. Stopping yeah. students from reading 
Yeah, I mean, this isn't, well, this is just something I saw on Twitter and I thought was really weird. So Norman Garros is a scholar, uh, he sadly passed away a few years ago, um, who wrote a lot about, he was a lecturer and an author um, who wrote about politics and sort of political science. And he wrote, basically, a guy was on Twitter saying that um, his friend, who was a lecturer, had wanted to use an essay that Norman wrote um, on the ethics of revolution as, as reading material in his university course. But uh, because of the gov- that university, who he wouldn't say which one it was, had a prevent strategy, mm-hmm. um, which is some weird government scheme, uh, which is trying to essentially protect... Um, you know, university students from being uh, influenced to become terrorists. So mm-hmm. he had to fill out a bunch of paperwork and get all the students to fill out forms talking about, you know, is this relevant to the course? And, you know, is it how, you know, how would you characterize it, essentially? Mm-hmm. It was just amazing to me. Like, it just feels very Orwellian. You it know feels what I mean? the proper Patriot Act <laughs> right? level shit. So, and it, it turns out that, I looked into it, PREVENT is um, the government's counterterrorism strategy. Um, it was part of the 2015 uh, Counterterrorism Security Act. And universities, all, I didn't realize this, but every university is required to have due regard to the need to prevent people from being drawn into terrorism. So if you g- Google this, hmm. like every university has PREVENT policy uh, you know, kind of paperwork on their website. Hmm. They have a prevent policy, and they're kind of clearly having to be shown to take it seriously. But this seemed like to many people on Twitter, because the reaction was kind of freaked out and, mm-hmm. and weirded out, um, this seemed like a very harsh kind of draconian interpretation of that prevent strategy. Mm-hmm. Um because yeah. you know it's an it, it's a scholarly essay about the ethics of rev- revolution. Right. You know he's not like instructing you on how to make a Molotov cocktail yeah, and telling you where to send it. it. You know what yeah. I mean? It's like it's incredibly dry political mm-hmm. writing. You know, <laughs> um, so yeah, like it's. It, I just thought that was. I I can't believe that I, I've never heard of this until now and i work at a university right and you i work too. at university and i've never, and you've heard, never of heard of it right yeah how did the hell did that get through that's like proper patriot act kind of shit i don't think they did that in the uk yeah. <laughs> silly me no i don't know i mean i don't i guess we're sure that this guy's legit right the guy the tweeter yeah he, wow yeah that's amazing so oh i believe it i certainly believe that it, it is happening but i just think it's interesting and people should know it you know yeah man and, and question it, really. Yeah. So, anyway, that's my that's my socialist rant for the day. Good. Done. Yeah, I think we've had a couple, actually. Yeah. No, actually, it's been very political. Yeah. Um, I don't know what's happening, but there, uh, this pod is, like, tapped into somebody's phone or something. And all kinds of crazy feedback. It's like uh, old school, you know, when you hook up to the internet. Oh, is it like an an- acting like an antenna? <laughs> yeah. Really? Mm. Yeah, Interesting. I don't know what it is. This pod, it's uh, electric. Maybe it's sending us messages. Oh, yeah. If only I knew Morse code. I think I, I think I can, <laughs> I can just make this one out. It's telling us that it's time to go have a drink. Ah, yeah. that is a clever pod. Good pod. Do you know what? It, it did something just when you said that. <laughs> 
Um, okay, so yes, so it's going to be Sophie McIntosh is. I'm talking to her just now. Uh, we have some other guests coming up. Kate Feld. Oh, and I have something to tell people about too. Oh, do you? Do we do. want to do that now, or do you want to do that in the okay. after bit? I'll do that in the after bit. Okay. Um, so I've, the because Kate was so ill, the guests are backing up. Ugh. Sorry, dude. <laughs> what can I say? I wish I could have taken a photo of that face you just made. Anyway, so yeah, so we got Sophie McIntosh today. Then we have Claire Fisher, and Sean O'Brien, and oddly Matt Holness. I shouldn't say oddly. He's he wrote a, a story uh, in a, a, a oh my god I can't remember what it is now I'll remember it when it's the Matt Holness podcast. But uh, for Comic Press they, they have a collection with a couple ah, stories okay. in it, scary stories in it. And um, he was in town to promote his film Possum. Okay. Definitely editing out that. Uh, gap when I had to try to think of what it was called. So I had to go see a fucking horror film for the first time in ever. See, I would have thought you were totally into horror No films. way. I hate horror films. Okay. They're too scary, man. Yeah, Horror no, books, yeah. yeah. And to be honest, this one's, it It was fine Okay. in the end. I was like, I was okay with it and it was interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, the last horror film I saw before that was Seven. That, that tells you how long ago that was. I thought you it was Aliens, that's, but it was Seven. That's also, I think, the last horror film I saw. Really? Yep. Did I we see it, it together? Broke me. Nope. No. I saw it with my friend Giles. He promised me it would be okay, that I wouldn't be upset. Yeah. Promised me. Wow. And I was just like, afterwards, I was like, you bastard. Yeah. <laughs> I was so broken by that movie. I saw it yeah. on the first date, <laughs> and we had the cinema to ourselves. There was It was late in the oh, run, and there was no yeah. one else in the cinema. It was fucking terrifying. Um, yeah, so there's all those other people. Anyway, this is Sophie McIntosh talking about the Booker Prize and her book, The Water Cure, and all kinds of other stuff. And it's great. So listen. Usually I just start with you kind of describing your book. But because we're here to talk about We Were Strangers, do you want to talk about how that came about, how you became part of this collection? Sure. Um, so Richard got in touch and said that he's putting together a short story collection about Joy Division, specifically mm-hmm. about Unknown Pleasures, and would I like to be involved? And I thought it sounded really interesting because I hadn't really written to prompt before, and it's an album. It's an album that I really love. Um, so I'd never written to a prompt. Bef- I had written to a prompt before, but not for a while. So I thought it sounded an interesting exercise to write a story based on a song because obviously a song is its own thing and a story is its own thing. Um, and so, yeah, I thought it sounded really interesting and I wanted to get involved. Okay. So what is it about, like, do you have uh, a love of Joy Division or was it, would it, could it have been any prompt and you would have written to it just for the sake of writing to a prompt? I think, um, Joy Division definitely holds a special place for me. So it did have that extra kind of pull. Like when I was a teenager, I really loved Joy Division. Mm -hmm. Um, I was a bit of a goth and Unknown Pleasure specifically for me, it was an album that I listened to a lot. So it was kind of... Yeah, it was interesting for me to think about how to revisit um, songs that I loved in a new kind of from a new perspective in a, a different time in my life and create something new. Mm-hmm. So this story, do you think it it it's, it kind of has something to do with? Because I I've read it a couple times, and I, I'm not the biggest Joy Division fan in the world. In fact, full disclosure, I like New Order better than Joy Division. Uh, I told Richard that, and he wasn't very happy. But anyway. <laughs> 
Um, so what is it about your story that's Joy Division-y? Or is it, is it just kind of like an oblique kind of mood that's similar to how you felt when you listened to the, the music? Or is there actual touchstones inside the story itself that I've missed because I don't know anything about Joy Division? I definitely went for more of a mood-based approach. Like, I write a lot with music anyway. Um, so I kind of just listen to the song over and over and over and over and over and kind of, you know, let kind of images come up. And so, yeah, I just worked on a feeling more than thinking, oh, this is like an aspect of the, of the lyrics or something that I want to incorporate. I just, yeah, I wanted to think about um, what setting it would put me into and what could kind of come through that. Mm-hmm. The one of the th- things about this story, and it reminded me. Have you read Megan Hunter's "The End We Start From"? Yeah, I have. Yeah, I kind of because there's, there's I found quite similarities in in mood, and also the fact that the character, well, the only other character, is a, a letter rather than a full name, um, and things like. That. So, did it have any kind of bearing on this story at all? Not I know that's a long shot question, and you're very, you're more than welcome to just say no, and we move on <laughs> to the next one. Uh, not specifically, but um, I can definitely see yeah where the influences came from. I just I, re- I really like that kind of spear style, which I think me and Megan share definitely. Mm-hmm. And I know I tend to put people's initials in um, stories a lot, just maybe because I'm like lazy and I can't think of an actual name. But <laughs> I just also kind of like that sense of association and that you could kind of put any character in it. Um, and also, yeah, just like I think names just have a lot of weight <laughs> sometimes, mm-hmm. and I'm like, oh, I can't name this because like, I know someone with this name, or I can't call them this because I like I know someone I don't like them. <laughs> <laughs> well, you could. It'd be even worse if you put someone that you do like, and then terrible things that happen to them that you didn't anticipate at the start of the book. <laughs> and then, yeah, they would read a lot into it, and yeah. they'd be really annoyed at me. That has to happen. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just use the same names every time in every book. Yeah. Um, it's also written in the second person. Was that a conscious decision? Well, obviously it was. Why? Would um, you, what is it about the second person narration that appeals to you? I think it just gives you that remove and that, again, that kind of dissociation that I had with like, the letters and the name, that idea of kind of being outside yourself. And I don't know, the song, the song feels so personal and it's so kind of intense and introspective. And so it was, it was interesting for me to just kind of um, take a step back and doing this kind of quite personal story but from a point of like um, observation mm-hmm. um, wait, would you say it's kind of got a dystopian vibe I think yeah definitely I, I didn't do it consciously but I just I think I really like that ambiguity um, of kind of is it in our world is it a slightly different world it feels to me maybe it's just based on <laughs> the rest of my stuff being a bit like more more strange and kind of dystopian it felt more almost like more realist for me writing it because it felt more rooted in the world but yeah definitely with like the names kind of that sense of isolation and just the grayness I think it's quite a gray story which mm. sounds a bit like negative yeah. <laughs> I don't think well it's, it's joy like, division isn't it of course it's gray <laughs> <laughs> it's not gonna be pink it's like shades of dark <laughs> yeah <laughs> um the uh technological kind of touchstones the phone is kind of a really kind of dark presence in the book is that something that you feel like? Do you have a, an innate fear of technology or of, say, like social media, like the the things that are happening? I have in the a, world lo- today? a love Google hate. Maps. <laughs> I have a love hate relationship with technology. I think because I mean, I, I, I'm glued to my phone like most of the time. But I've been mm-hmm. trying to take a break from Twitter, for example, because I just kind of 
I don't know, like the narrator, I just lose myself like scrolling and scrolling and not necessarily like with Google Maps, but just, just mm-hmm. yeah, just scrolling for hours and not really getting anywhere and kind of it being this weird, like, just, yeah, a procrastination, Attention anxiety. grabbing yeah, void. Just, just this weird thing that wasn't going anywhere, this strange repetitive behavior. So I haven't, I've like, haven't been on Twitter for like two and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> Very which good. Is, which is really weird um, um, for me. But yeah, so I kind of, it's not like I've got a fear of technology, but I definitely have an idea of the negative places it can kind of pull you to. Mm. I've got that kind of compulsion of checking. Mm-hmm. Have you actually? Are you actually still on Twitter, or have you completely taken yourself off of it? Um, I've just like deactivated. I think I'm, I'll probably wow. go back on it, but just yeah, I don't know. Especially just it was just really really easy when you had so much stuff to do to just sort of keep clicking mm-hmm. <laughs> and like delay making any decisions because I was like I could just refresh refresh and refresh and yeah. not get anything out of it really yeah I have a very I've, I'm in kind of the same boat as far as social media is concerned I kind of it when you have something that you want people to listen to like a podcast or whatever it's essential you, you cannot not have Twitter but at the same time I hate it. Mm. I probably shouldn't say that because people <laughs> that are listening to this uh, need my Twitter feed and I'm, I, I get in trouble for not putting enough stuff on it. And that, you, you know, the pressure of, you know, that, that, that you actually have to put things on there. Yeah. And I'm also kind of afraid of people taking things, uh, like artistic things, like people are putting things on Twitter that are, you know, they're, they're getting quite creative with it and it just kind of gets either forgotten or stolen because it's so transient. Which yeah. is so I, I guess it's good and it's bad in that you can put something on there and if there's regret, who cares? It gets buried in a million other tweets. Mm-hmm. But if you want it to be something of you know of value or merit, it gets lost in the sea Definitely. of other tweets. It's such a, I know. I remember when I joined Twitter and I just was very. I don't know, I would tweet anything. I was very not thinking about like future employee employers or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then and then obviously when kind of writing stuff started happening for me I was a bit like oh I had like agents and editors following me mm-hmm. and kind of have to now keep things wholesome and keep things like you know like no like terrible jokes or mm-hmm. I don't know like yeah but I, I'm, I'm definitely aware that I probably should go back I think my US publisher was a little bit like oh you're taking a Twitter break cool because the book is now yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the US and I was like I will yeah. I will return I just like need to get some stuff done yeah. <laughs> before I return yeah. are you writing something else right now yeah I am and let me guess, this, I always ask this question, and it's always the same answer. Can you talk about it? <laughs> Is the answer always no? Yes. It's always no. <laughs> yeah, I just kind of, it's kind of superstitious talking about it, because I think, as well, like, I'm very, like, inefficient writer and very scatty, and I mm-hmm. kind of have to, like, write and rewrite and rewrite, so I'm like, oh, I've got this book that I'm working on, and it's a book about this, and then I'm like, surprise, it's actually about something completely different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I did that a lot with The Water Cure. I was like, I'm writing on this, I'm, I'm working a novel about an oil rig, and I was like, no, it's not a novel about it's a book about like toxic masculinity. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, <laughs> I've kind of learnt my lesson in that regard. But it is yeah. still a bit kind of strange, I think. Not like necessarily dystopian, but um, yeah, kind of not similar themes, I guess. Yeah, I like, I quite like processy type uh, comments from authors. And, and this podcast is largely directed at new writers. Mm. So I, when you say, and I won't dwell on this, but when you when you say that you do um, a lot of self editing, you do that as you're writing, so you don't go through and do a, a full draft and then come back and start again. You are constantly changing as it goes forward. Is that? 
Um, I kind of do a bit of both, but actually, no, I do, I do do a lot of um, doing a whole draft and then looking at it and basically kind of rewriting it. Yeah. <laughs> and then kind of rewriting it again. Um, yeah, I wish I was, and I wish I, I wish I could do a first draft and just kind of then be like, oh, here's my first draft. I just need to like tighten up some bits. Yeah. I'm like so not like. That. Yeah. <laughs> I am. Yeah, I must waste like hundreds of thousands of words. Yeah. But I think you know it's like that's just the way I do it. Unfortunately. Yeah. Do other people have put eyes on it? Um, no, I don't really have that many early readers. I kind of just like um, show it to my agent usually, but I'm. I they don't know quite, anything. <laughs> I'm just really private about it. I, I think I need to get less precious about it and maybe show it to some more people this time around. But mm-hmm. I've kind of made more writer friends um, through like through, through publishing The Water Cure. So hopefully mm-hmm. I can get some of them to read it and give mm-hmm. me some feedback. Yeah. Now, I've also read that there was a bit of a battle over The Water Cure to publish it. It was an auction and uh, people were fighting for it. So... Most of the people that come on this uh, podcast talk about how difficult it is to be a writer and how difficult the, the, the world of writing is and it's impossible to make money and all this stuff. So it's lovely to see a happy story about um, how something gets published, especially a debut novel. The other thing I always ask, and I'm not going to be crass enough to say exactly how much money did you get. I might ask you afterwards because I'm fascinated. But uh, <laughs> are you in a place now where you can make a living from writing? I think so in a, man, in a manner of speaking, like I kind of, it's just opened up a lot more opportunities for me, like I'm starting doing teaching yep. and... Is that um, what you want to do though? Um, I mean, it'd be like a dream to just completely write full time, yep. but I think I'm just, I don't know, I, was, I, was, I worked full time when I wrote The Water Cure and I think I'm just, I've just got a very firm sense of caution. I feel like writing is just so precarious. It could kind of, I almost don't trust book money or writing money. I feel like I could just go at any point. Like it's kind of like, I don't know, fairy dust. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, the main reason writing has been good for me in that way is just, yeah, it's given me some kind of basis like to teach and mm-hmm. kind of opportunities to, you know, do events and to um, like get commissions and stuff for my writing. So mm-hmm. it has been really nice. Like I, I, I freelance now. I don't write, I don't work full time like I did um, when I was um, writing The Water Cure. So it's been a really nice mm. kind of move. Yeah. At the same time, do you kind of worry that now that you've taken yourself, I don't, like taking yourself out of society, listen to me. Now that you don't have, you know, inter- interactions with, uh, you know, office people on, on a day-to-day, or people on a day-to-day basis, if you're, you know, if you're working from home, do you kind of worry that, that your writing might suffer? It's really because, um, yeah, when I was when I was writing The Water Cure and I was working, um, I was just really exhausted and stressed out all the time. But yeah. I had this really good routine and it, was, it wasn't a routine that kind of had a lot of time for, like, socialising or having a life. But mm-hmm. it was like I'd wake up before work and I'd get in, like, an hour of writing and then I'd go to work and then at lunchtime I'd, like, do some more writing and then I'd come home and do some more. And so I'd always get in, like, at, at, on the best days I'd get in, like, three to four solid hours of writing. And I feel Wonderful. like... Maybe I don't get that now, yeah. <laughs> just because I don't have that like structure. Um, but I think it's always going to be different with like a first book as well, because I just had this like I, don't know, I had this such a drive to get it finished. Not that I don't have it now. It's just I was so obsessed with like oh, I'm gonna am I gonna finish a book? I'm gonna finish a book. And um, I sometimes do contract work, and I had a really good kind of again a, a good rhythm where I was working in an office in the afternoon, and I would go to a coffee shop, I would write in the morning, and then I'd go to my office job in the afternoon. And I was like, maybe actually this is the way forward to me, even though I don't want it to be. Mm-hmm. It's, I like to hear that um, you could structure it around your work life. I think that's, that's, I think there's a lot to be taken out of that, from that um, with, uh, with new writers who are obviously in the same position. Because who can 
like there's probably a handful of people that can actually make a living from writing alone. The other thing, the, mo- the other like properly exciting thing um, about your book is that it was longlisted for the Booker Prize. That must have been a bit of a shock. Yeah, completely. I mean, I had no idea it was even put up for the Booker Prize, um, and I hadn't expected it to be. And yes, I wasn't expecting it at all. I mean, I didn't even have a, a flicker really of, oh, maybe maybe the, when the long list is announced, I'll be on it. I think I just remember, mm-hmm. I remember like clicking on a video of like some predictions for the long list and being like, oh, I'm really interested to like see who's on it because, you know, I'm in like publishing now and, mm-hmm. you know, see, you know, <laughs> see what kind of things are on it. And then my editor like rang me a few days before the long list was announced and said, um, you're on the longest, and I kind of like screamed and cried <laughs> for like, about ten minutes down the phone. Yeah, I one of my favorite things when I was researching you is I was on your Wikipedia page, and I think I found the the, the my favorite sentence about anyone on Wikipedia ever. Have you actually read your Wikipedia page? I have. Page? I feel like I've made it because I've got a Wikipedia page. I didn't make it myself. I don't know actually yeah. who made it. Whoever wrote on it. Macintosh enjoys running and eating. Yeah. Deserves. Oh, I don't know if Wikipedia gives out awards, but that's. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's yeah, I, thought, I think yeah. My partner read that and was a bit like, you don't even run, and I was like, I know I haven't really run for like <laughs> a while. It's severely out of date, but I do like to eat. Yeah, I love how <laughs> eating doesn't. is eating is a thing that that's worth putting down. That's on like, where, where did they get that from? I, I know. Really <laughs> it's there's a citation. There's a citation. I have to maybe I have to go in and edit. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, you shouldn't. You have to leave that. Has to stay on your Wikipedia page forever because it's the best. I always have questions about um, people and how they in situations in which they grew up, basically. And I read somewhere that you speak Welsh. You're Welsh, but your parents don't. Mm-hmm. How did that happen? My dad is English, um, that's why he doesn't, and it's just, Welsh is very hard to like, I think to learn when you're an adult, um, possibly just because just cause some of the, the sounds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and my mum, she's she's Welsh, well she was born in Scotland, but she's Welsh, but um, she grew up in kind of more, she grew up in the valleys, and it's, some parts of the valleys are really Welsh, but she kind of grew up closer to Cardiff, which is pretty English, so it's mm. quite, like, she just never really... Took it up. <laughs> yeah, and it's like a secret language between you and your yeah, yeah. siblings. Yeah. So I think she, she knows like a little bit of Welsh, but she doesn't know very much at all. But then me and my sister kind of were educated in Welsh. So Really? So do they, te- they teach it, do you think they teach it more in school now than they ever did? Yeah, I think so. It depends kind of what part of Wales you're in, but we, were, we grew up in Pembrokeshire, which is quite a, um, well, especially in the north, it's very like strongly Welsh. So um, for us, yeah, I was kind of, I went to Welsh primary school, then I went to mm-hmm. Welsh secondary school. Oh, right. And all my subjects are in Welsh. That's incredible. <laughs> Except for English. Yeah. Well, see, I'm from Canada, and it's a bilingual country, and you can do French immersion um, that I, I really wish I had done. But um, do you find that when you had to... Was it difficult when you had to... Uh, because you're learning Welsh at the same time as doing the subject work, mm. I suppose it must make things a little bit more difficult. Yeah, I think because I went... So Welsh primary school, I don't really remember like learning Welsh. It kind of, I guess, because I was I was so small, I was like three or four when I started. So I just grew up kind of with Welsh and English side by side. So I don't I don't really don't remember learning it. I, it feels like it felt very natural to me to kind of just do everything in mm. Welsh and then kind mm-hmm. of come home and speak English. I, well, the other thing I, I with uh, debut authors, um, I always like to get a bit of uh, uh, about is how it felt actually to actually publish. Your first novel, like how many times, how many cracks at it did you have before it actually happened? Mm. Were there other novels that you had beforehand that yeah. never made it? 
so I wrote like a yeah I wrote a book before um, um, that my agent tried to sell but mm-hmm. it didn't it didn't sell and then so that was obviously difficult but I was I was like I'll just you know we'll work on it again and send it out again so I basically completely rewrote it and almost oh, I I feel like I feel like it became like a different book so it's been like a year kind of uh, mm-hmm. revamping it and editing it um, and then we sent it out again. Um, and then again, it didn't sell. Mm-hmm. So before the Water Cure went out, I'd been on submission twice. So I kind of, wow. um, I knew, I knew kind of what the process involved, and I also knew for me it was like usually a painful, mm-hmm. <laughs> a painful one where nothing good happens. So my expectations were like very low. <laughs> yeah. Um, but thankfully, it was it was a good outcome this time. But yeah. it was, that's what, it felt very surreal like when it went to auction because I was like, oh, like normally. No, this normally doesn't happen for me. <laughs> I was kind of almost resigned to being like, I'll just write another book. And yeah. It's fine, I've done it before. Um, but so, I didn't have to use so how many other novels are have you written that have just been uh, resigned to the circular file cabinet, uh, one, so to speak? One full one, and then, yeah, the rewrite as well. Mm. So I guess it's like technically the same, the same book, but kind of two different versions. And yeah. then I kind of... I would start books and get like about 10,000. I mean, and I probably have like a couple of non-starters mm. <laughs> as well. Yeah. How did you get your agent? Um, she she was a friend. Well, she was working for uh, she's working in an agency, and she's a friend of a friend. Um, and she was kind of scouting for new novels for her boss. Mm-hmm. Um, so I sent in my book uh, to her for her boss, and her boss really liked it. And then I started working with her, kind of her boss at the time. Um, so we've worked really closely for a while, and then she was building her own list. And because we worked together so well, and we had kind of a very similar vision. Um, I and she took me on as her as her author instead. Oh so right. She so did she? She she clearly believed in the book mm. to go through. You know to to send it out twice. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, she, I've never heard of that as an agent being that persistent. Really. Yeah, I mean she's um we've worked together for like four or five years now, so it's wow. a, a good payoff for her. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, one she is like very very. She's kind of earned it. <laughs> she's earned it hundred percent. Which is funny because I've never ever said that about an agent before. <laughs> Yeah, right. I think there's a really health, healthy, well, I say healthy, hatred of agents on this podcast <laughs> for most people that come on. Oh, no, I love, I love my agent. Oh, brilliant. Just, yeah, she helps me be a, a better writer. And Maybe we should give her a shout-out, actually. What's yeah. her name? Harriet from David Hyam Associates. Ah, <laughs> David. Mm. Yeah, because it's interesting, because David Hyam Associates, they're one of the few agencies that don't take email submissions, do they? You have to actually, well, um, meet sure. somebody. Maybe, maybe they've... Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure what the process is now because mm. it's so it's so long ago. But um, yeah, I think you might have to have um, a referral. But yeah, it was Harriet's been amazing, and yeah. she's I know she's very good at pushing me. I think I'm not like I'm a lazy writer, but I think I somehow sometimes don't have enough like belief in myself. Mm-hmm. And she's very much like you can do better. I know you can do better. You have it in you. And I'm like oh, I can't. Yeah. I can't do better. And she's like you can. And then I'm like I can, yeah. <laughs> and I will. She sounds amazing. <laughs> Who is this person? <laughs> wow. Because the other thing, well, you're certainly not a lazy writer if you're writing when you wake up and then writing on your lunch break and then going home and writing some more. I think that's the absolute opposite of a lazy writer, really. So that, that's all I need today. Um, Thank you very much, Sophie. Thank you for having me. No problem. Okay, so that was the Sophie McIntosh interview. What have you got going on, Kate Felt? Well, as a matter of fact, I am hosting an open mic and performance night as part of the International Arts and Homeless Festival on Thursday, the 15th of November, mm-hmm. 6 p.m. at the Manchester Museum. Ooh. That's right. Which one's that? 
The Manchester Museum? The Is Natural the History Museum. Oh, that's that you do. <laughs> you know. You're saying museum again. Museum. That's so funny. Is that the one on in, at my university? Yeah. Okay, I always forget what that one's called. Yeah, that's Manchester the one. Museum. The one with the big dinosaur skeleton. And the big crab in the window, I think. The enormous Alaskan crab. Or that's what was there a while ago. I should go more often, I suppose. It's a great museum. Yeah. Museum. 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 Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, that'll be a good night because it's free and it's uh, people who are homeless or have been homeless will be performing all kinds of oh, wow. art, they'll be performing dance, there'll be music, there'll be a lot of spoken word. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, it's it, and it's, it's, it should be a fun night actually. Cool. Um, anything else? After that, I am judging World War. Oh yeah, my favorite. It's the last one December. ever. Yeah, I know. So if you have never been to this, you must must go. It's it's one of the funnest liter literature nights there is. The Word War Final. Is that Evidently. the Three Minute Theater? As it well. used to be. Yeah, the that's NIT. where it was last time I went, but I'm the not NIT. sure. Look it um, up. There's there's this the thing fourth, called the I internet. Know it's on the fourth of December. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm very excited to be judging. Yeah. So. Yeah. I'm glad I'm not judging. I think I'll definitely come. Yeah. Just because I like to just sit and drink instead. Yeah. But yeah. So um, I think that's it, really. I think that's it. Yeah, I don't want to talk about my stuff because it's too depressing at the moment. Okay, let's not talk about your stuff. Okay. But keep your stuff, you know. All right. Keep I, it wrapped up. Life. I will. Yeah. <laughs> I will do. By the way, Sheffield Wednesday is called Wednesday because they played on Wednesday because it was cricket all the other time. And they didn't allow them to have a different name. And they were one of the first football clubs ever. So there. That's it. Bye. Bye. <laughs>